Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is Tom Salemi, and you're listening to the OIS Podcast. This is episode number 203. We have none other than Eric Donenfeld here to sort of handicap the dry eye race for us. Eric and I run through several uh, different companies with dry eye products in clinical trials. We get Eric's take on uh, on where these companies are, what they promise, and uh, and what his hopes are. So very grateful to have his time to go over uh, each and every one of these companies. He knows his stuff, and I know you'll enjoy this conversation. Before I let you go, though, I want to remind you that OIS at Seco is happening on February 21st in New Orleans. Dry Eye will be on the agenda, of course, so consider this a nice primer for that day. If you have not been to an OIS yet, then I invite you then to uh, listen to none other than Tom Frenzy of uh, Johnson & Johnson Vision. Tom has been a, a stalwart supporter and participant in OIS. Let's hear what Tom had to say when I asked him why he attends OIS. No, I think OIS, is, as you and I have talked over the years, Tom, I've been to every one for the past 10 years. I think that's about 19 events, and, and um, it's just a wonderful ecosystem. Uh, you know, when I was involved in startup companies, it obviously created an environment to come and network with either money people or strategics or clinicians uh, to, to get our message out. And now being part of a major strategic acquirer like Johnson & Johnson, it's a wonderful uh, environment to come and keep abreast of what's new and what's exciting as we look to continue to enhance our portfolio. So my association with OIS has been personal and professional and uh, something I've enjoyed for the past 10 years and look forward to the future. Great. Thanks for the comments, Tom. Thank you for joining us on the OIS podcast. Now let's get into this great interview with Eric Donenfeld. Dr. Eric Donenfeld, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be here. I always find it interesting. Great. My first question is kind of a simple one coming from a, a reporter type person. Are we really overhyping what's happening in dry eye? I mean, we're talking a lot about it at OIS. A lot of great companies uh, that are coming around. How do you, as a clinician, as someone on, on the front lines, how do you assess all that's happening in the, the treatment of dry eye? That's a great question. And for me, dry eye has been the largest unmet need in anterior segment ophthalmology for decades now. And for a long time, we only had one FDA-approved medication. That was cyclosporin or restasis from Allergan. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a couple of new approvals recently. We've had Shire has approved Zydra, which is lafitograss, and a device was approved for the first time, which was TrueTier. Mm -hmm. But having said that, um, dry eye is the single most common reason why patients come into our practices, and that's for ophthalmology and for optometry. It impacts on quality of life, it impacts on surgical outcomes, and it is probably the most debilitating uh, aspect of elderly patients' uh, sensations or sensory perception. Uh, they lose the ability to see comfortably, they can't do the everyday activities that they want to do, and the quality of their vision is degraded. So for me, dry eye is uh, extraordinarily important, and we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg with ophthalmologists and optometrists beginning to understand the true importance of diagnosing and treating this common disease. 
Let's talk a bit just about the causes. I think we uh, tend to focus on simple things like too much use of your cell phone, or uh, I know you published recently about how uh, a lack of sleep, a quality sleep can, can lead to dry eye. Is this a uh, condition that's brought on by just sort of uh, lifestyle management or uh, there are other issues that are more, I guess, medical and, and less manageable as well? Dry eye is multifactorial and uh, for many patients, it's an aging change. But we now know that dry eye is really an inflammatory condition for most patients. And we're seeing uh, an extraordinary increase in the prevalence of dry eye. And that may be due to many different uh, changes in our environment. Uh, it could be the aging population. There can be hormonal effects on dry eye. Uh, it is associated with surgery. Um, but I think more commonly, uh, it's probably uh, nutritional to a large extent with the changes in our Western diet, having a decreased consumption of omega-3s. And finally, uh, the use of uh, cell phones and electronic devices uh, has been very strongly associated with dry eye because it changes the blink rate uh, and uh, patients don't have the normal meibomian gland function that they would otherwise. So it's very difficult to say exactly why dry eye is increasing, but we can say without a doubt it, it is increasing and it's becoming epidemic. How, have the, how has your practice changed to uh, accommodate dry eye patients? I know earlier on, three or four years ago at OIS, it was uh, the stories were told like we didn't, doctors prior to some of the more recent approvals really didn't have any options other than, than advising patients to use a warm pack. You almost didn't necessarily want to see the patients because you didn't know if you were going to be able to help them or not. But how has the advent of all these new technologies changed how ophthalmologists view dry eye patients? Well, I think ophthalmologists have become more interested in diagnosing dry eye. And there have been some significant improvements in our diagnostic abilities uh, for diagnosing dry eye. And there's a perception by many that diagnosing dry eye is easy. And I would say it's really not uh, there are a lot of things that masquerade as dry eye that can easily be misconstrued and mistreated as dry eye. So now we have better diagnostic technologies. Uh, I think that tear osmolarity becoming commonplace has been a, an enormous help. Uh, the use of uh, questionnaires such as the SPEED or the OSDI, which are used in many offices to uh, look for dry eye before the patient actually sees the doctor has been helpful. Uh, there are some other new modalities that are coming. Uh, we have MMP9 levels. We have interleukins that are going to be measurable. Um, I think the routine use of meibomian gland imaging or mybography is going to be a significant improvement in the way we diagnose dry eye because so commonly we miss the diagnosis of meibomian gland disease because when we look at the meibomian glands, we only see the literal tip of the iceberg looking at the superficial gland orifices, and now we have the ability to actually look at the entire glands themselves. So to answer your question, I think we have better diagnostic abilities than we did before. We're looking for the disease more commonly. And then the final part of the puzzle is we have better treatments as well. 
So now that we have better treatments, it becomes more important to diagnose dry eye because in the past when you diagnosed dry eye, it didn't really make a significant difference in the patient's outcome. Now we can treat dry eye more effectively, which makes it more imperative to diagnose it correctly and to treat appropriately. So how has all these new technologies, these new diagnostics, how have they changed your practice? Do you have more people assigned to uh, diagnosing dry eye to seeing dry eye patients? Do you, are you building out sort of a dry eye practice? Because it sounds like there's many, many directions you can go with, with the technologies we have and the technologies that are coming. Diagnosing dry eye is so ubiquitous. It's seen so commonly that we've changed the way our practice diagnoses dry eye, moving from a ophthalmologist-centered diagno- diagnostics to really a technician empowered diagnosis, where our technicians who are aided with questionnaires are empowered to order the appropriate tests for patients so that when the patient actually comes to see me, I have in front of me the diagnostic test that will help me diagnose the disease more expeditiously. In addition, I think one of the most exciting aspects of dry eye has been that for the first time, We found a common ground for ophthalmology and optometry to work together in an environment where we help each other in diagnosing and managing the disease. And I think that the future is going to be very bright for dry eye as optometry and ophthalmology work together to diagnose and manage this this ubiquitous disease. So the technologies that are being developed, those are finding their way not only into combined practices like the one you're, you're leading, but also uh, individual optometrists who they can, can then refer patients to, uh, to an ophthalmologist for treatment? Well, I think dry eye can be very effectively treated by optometrists and by ophthalmologists. I think the more difficult cases will sometimes be referred to a dry eye specialist, but the majority of dry eye cases, uh, when diagnosed appropriately, have very effective therapies to improve their, their management. So that optometrists are very comfortable now managing dry eye at certain levels. Once, once the disease becomes vision-threatening and there's corneal involvement and breakdown, then I think that a referral is often indicated. But the great majority of dry eye is mild to moderate dry eye. And these are the patients that can be managed by any good eye care professional who's dedicated to providing the best quality of therapy. Terrific. That's a great point. Let's get into some of the clinical trials that are going on. Before we get there, though, I, I, I as a layperson, I understand the, the importance of signs and symptoms as endpoints for these trials, but can you just sort of speak to what, are, what, what is unique about the, the challenges of, of proving uh, whether a dry eye uh, drug works or not regarding signs and symptoms? Over the last decade, the landscape of failed FDA trials for dry eye is just littered with, with failed companies who are not able to show that their treatments were effective because they couldn't get an FDA clinical trial that showed statistical significance in both signs and symptoms. And over the last couple of years, we've come to the realization that there's a very good reason for that. And that is that signs and symptoms in dry eye disease are actually inversely coordinated with each other. And that very commonly, as signs get better, symptoms get worse and vice versa. So a landmark change was provided by the FDA that realized this 
And now what the FDA asks for is that signs and symptoms don't necessarily have to be shown to be statistically significant in the same study. And you can have individual studies for signs, individual studies for symptoms that lead to FDA approval by allowing us to separate signs and symptoms it's opened a pathway that's made it more reasonable to get FDA approval for a lot of new drugs that are in the pipeline. And this is exactly what Shire did with the FDA approval of Lafitagrest. Let's look into some of the advanced programs in dry eye, some of the things that you see coming down the, the pike uh, earlier on. There is a couple of products that I guess are on pace to be approved soon or we hope they'll be approved soon. Talk a bit about uh, Lubricin from Novartis. Lubricin is a compound that Novartis has developed and is uh, in FDA trials right now in the United States. It actually is in use in Europe at the present time. And what Lubricin is, is an uh, uh, endogenous glycoprotein that's expressed in areas of high shear stress and friction. It's found in cartilage, for example. And it binds to the ocular surface, and it provides an extraordinary lubricating surface that is very effective in managing dry eye. It's basically a superb, high-quality artificial tear that takes lubrication to another to another level than than we've seen before. So, Lubricin is also anti-inflammatory. Lubricin, I believe, will become the highest-quality lubricant that we have available in the United States. The Lubricin that will be approved, hopefully in the near future, again, is a recombinant glycoprotein. And what the phase two clinical trials have demonstrated is immediate improvement in dry eyes. This is something that doesn't require long-term therapy. It really provides very active, very rapid improvements. Uh, and in the FDA trial so far, there really been no treatment-related adverse events. This is Novartis's entrance into the dry eye market. And uh, we're very excited to have a company like Novartis, which as we all know, is an extraordinary company, uh, become interested in dry eye. For sure. And, and also in, in phase three trials, we know Kayla Pharmaceuticals uh, started dosing patients this summer. Talk a bit about what, uh, what Kayla might be bringing. Well, Kayla is a novel lodopredinol compound. It has mucus penetrating particles, which are really nanotechnology. These are extraordinarily small particles of lodopredinol that enhance the delivery of lodopredinol into the eye. They've actually received approval for their lodopredinol for cataract surgery, but now they're looking at the dry eye market. And what they're going to be submitting to the FDA is two phase three trials called Stride 1 and Stride 2, which are 0.25% lodopredinol etabinate in a nanotechnology. The trials so far have showed favorable results for both primary signs of conjunctival hyperemia and ocular discomfort. And again, like Lubricin, this acts very rapidly. Uh, we all know that corticosteroids are extraordinary anti-inflammatories. And what the hope is, is that the Kala mucus penetrating lodopredinol will provide relief for those short periods or episodic flares that very commonly occur in dry eye. So I think this will be a very good adjunctive therapy to chronic anti-inflammatory therapy such as cyclosporin or, or, or lafitagrass. 
And when a patient has that one or two weeks when the eyes become extremely dry, this will give them relief over those short periods of time. It also may be very good for induction therapy in patients having dry eye disease, where we know anti-inflammatory therapy can take weeks to months to become active. And very commonly, patients will have discomfort, irritation associated with the use of the medications early on. I see this medication as being a very good induction medication that will allow patients to have a combination immunomodulation of a corticosteroid and a T-cell modulator to improve the quality of the tear film very rapidly. And now we'll take a quick break for this message. I had the opportunity to speak with Pierre Biadon. He's the CEO of Human Optics. Human Optics is one of our companies to watch. We, uh, we met with them at our OIS at AAO event. Let's hear a little bit about their product. So the solution that we've been developing uh, is Custom Flex Artificial Nairis. So it's um, Nairis prosthesis that is custom made, uh, foldable, biocompatible, versatile. So it mimics the natural appearance uh, of the iris by its color, but also by its 3D structure. Uh, and uh, the posterior face of the implant is black, so uh, it prevents light transmission. So through this, we're uh, solving uh, the major problems of those patients, which are not only cosmetic, but are all also severe visual problems. So they suffer from photophobia, they suffer from glaucoma, and more than half of them are suffering from cataract. If you'd like to learn more about human optics, please go to YouTube. You can search for OIS and human optics. It's one of our companies to watch. You can find a full-length presentation from human optics and an interview I did with Pierre on-site. Now let's get back into this conversation with Eric Donenfeld. How much room is there for different types of treatments for dry eye? There is there are there some of these products going to be for the short term, some for the long term, some for this type of patient, but not that. Well, clearly the Kayla compound is going to be for short term management, but it may be episodic, and you patients may use it a half a dozen times during the year. But uh, the majority of the medications are going to be for long term use. Lubricin shows very short term efficacy, but it is very reasonable to consider using it for long term therapy as well. There are some other medications that are actually recently FDA approved for persistent epithelial defects due to neurotrophic keratitis. A company called Dompe had recent approval of their medication Oxervate for corneal healing, which is very commonly associated with dry eye disease. This is for neurotrophic keratitis, but I think it will be very highly associated with dry eye, and I could see this being a very good short-term solution for dry eye disease in patients who have significant corneal breakdown. And then once the corneal breakdown is resolved, then the patient can go on a more chronic re regimen for long-term therapy. Amazing. Well, let's talk about some of the other uh, programs that are going on. I know uh, Mitotech is an interesting company. It's actually based in Luxembourg. And I think they have a product that's approved in, uh, I believe it's used in Russia. I don't know if it's used in the rest of Europe, but what is uh, what is Mitotech bringing to the table? Mitotech is interesting. That's a company that is based in Luxembourg. And as you mentioned, it's actually approved in Russia and is uh, very commonly used there. There have been hundreds of thousands of doses that are, that are used there. 
And in the United States, we're entering a phase three clinical trial for their compound called SKQ1. And what SKQ1 does is it reduces oxidative stress within mitochondria. So the previous topical medications that have been approved in the United States, uh, Ristasis and Zydra, both are T-cell modulators, and the causes of dry eye are multifactorial. So this is a new mechanism of action that's been identified that may actually help improve dry eye disease, and I believe could be very synergistic with the immunomodulators that we have available to us today. SKQ1 is in trials right now, and we're hoping to see results probably in the second quarter of 2019 for the uh, phase three trials. The phase two trial were, were 90 patients that showed statistically significant superiority over placebo for several endpoints. The uh, molecule reduces inflammation, but it does it in a different way by allowing the cells to become more stable and by reducing free radicals that are very common in dry eye disease. The main source of energy inside a cell, as we all know, is an organelle called the mitochondria. And what Mitotech does, it reduces or neutralizes excessive levels of free radicals to stabilize mitochondria to allow cells to uh, function more effectively. And uh, this is a new mechanism of action, as I mentioned, and uh, something that we don't really know a lot about in the United States, but uh, in Russia, my colleagues are using it there and are very, very comfortable with it. And they feel this is a very effective therapy for dry eye using a different mechanism of action. And, and did they go through phase one and two in the U.S. or were they, were they able to? Well, they've gone through phase two, yes. Phase two, okay, excellent. Yeah, they, they've, they've gone through phase two. The phase two had 90 patients, as I mentioned in it, and it showed some good top-line effects. The, the phase three trial, again, will be released in March. And we've got a couple other companies, three other companies that are that have announced phase two results and, and look to be moving into phase three. Uh, Aldera is one of them. Uh, what, what are you uh, hoping to see from uh, from that company? Well, Aldera is a very interesting company and, again, uses a different mechanism of action of any drug that I've seen before. What it does is it, it reacts with pro-inflammatory aldehyde mediators that contribute to ocular inflammation. So what Aldira's dry eye treatment does is it diminishes aldehyde levels, and this is called an aldehyde trap. By doing this, it eliminates the ability of a cell to respond to inflammation. In 2017, Aldira uh, released data from a phase 2A clinical trial that showed that their medication, which is called Repoxilat, clinically improve both signs and symptoms of patients with dry eye disease. In the more recent study that was just released, there were 300 patients that were treated with Reproxilap in a randomized trial to receive either vehicle or the uh, medication over a 12-week period. And the patients who were treated with Reproxilap experienced statistically significant reduction in ocular dryness stores, overall ocular discomfort, and some of the signs of dry eye as well. There was a reduction in, I believe, fluorescein corneal staining, which was uh, statistically significant and superior to the vehicle. But what's interesting about this is it's, a, it's again, a brand new mechanism of action, which I think, again, will be synergistic with some of the other therapies that we have. It binds to free aldehydes, and by doing that, it reduces the ability of a cell to become inflamed. A non-inflamed cell will function more effectively.
It is amazing how many different ways there are to uh, to attack dry eye. I guess that speaks to what you spoke of earlier, which is there's just many different factors contributing to it and to and, and bringing it along. I completely agree with you. As we learn more about the mechanism of action of dry eye, we also begin to understand new therapies that can be associated with it. Interesting. And, and Oyster Point is a company they presented at OIS. They actually presented their phase two results uh, at OIS. Actually, they have two, I believe, two phase twos going on. And uh, this is kind of has a, a neural approach. They're going after the uh, the glands that uh, comprise the lacrimal function unit. So, Oyster Point, oh, you're you're familiar with you spoke of of uh, of Trutier before. I mean, they're they're kind of related entities, aren't they? So, Oyster Point is a very promising dry eye treatment that was developed by the same people who developed Trutier, and Trutier was FDA approved, I believe, last year, and it's a handheld neural stimulator with disposable tips that are inserted into the nose and that stimulates nerves in the nose to produce tears. This is kind of like the reaction when you get hit in the nose and you tear for the rest of the day. Well, Oyster Point uses the same neural pathways, but instead of using the analogy of what happens when you get hit in the nose, think of what happens when you smell onions and your eyes well up in tear for the rest of the day the same way. And what Oyster Point uh, is a dry eye therapy that uses nicotinic uh, acetylcholine receptor agonist to, in a nasal spray. And the nasal spray stimulates the trigeminal parasympathetic pathway to activate the glands and produce tears. Again, very similar to Trutier, but instead of using a, a neurostimulator, it uses smell. And in the FDA trials, they had 165 patients that were evaluated, and the name of the study was the PEARL study, capital P-E-A-R-L study. And the patients who received the 2% dose had a change in Shermer score of 19.3 millimeters versus 17.1 millimeters in the 1% dose. Very significant differences between the doses very vast improvements in Schirmer scores. And these are Schirmer score imp improvements that I have never seen before with any of the therapies. So to go from a Schirmer of 2.6 in the control to 19.3 millimeters in the 2% dose is extremely high. In addition to the Schirmer score, which is a sign, there was also a significant reduction in symptoms as evidenced by the eye dryness scale. The 2% had a uh, score change of 19, which is, a again, a very, very significant improvement. So I think Oyster Point is a very exciting new technology. And again, it uses a, a novel pathway. It's shown to be effective. And I think it's something that patients will gravitate to. So TrueTier is, is, is being launched now by Allergan. Uh, Oyster Point is in the FDA trial process right now, but I think offers a very exciting new modality for managing dry eye with a novel mechanism of action. And I'd like to touch upon NovaLeak. They've had some uh, very exciting phase three data that they released recently. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, what NovaLeak is up to. NovaLeak is an extremely novel company that uses a vehicle that's completely different than anything that's ever been used before. Before I go to NovaLeak, I'll just mention that Sun recently had approval of a dry eye product, CEQA, C-E-Q-U-A, which is a 0.09% cyclosporin compound for dry eye disease. So this is, again, a new company which has just entered the market this year. Uh, Novaleaf also looks at cyclosporin, 
And what it uses is a vehicle of perfluorohexyl octane. And hexyl octane, perfluorohexyl octane is a non-aqueous vehicle that allows uh, extraordinary sol- solubility. So for the first time, cyclosporin can really be solubilized into a vehicle that allows ready access to the ocular surface to treat evaporative dry eye. So the, no, the Novalik compound uh, has not only cyclosporin as an anti-inflammatory, but the vehicle is a very potent anti-evaporative. It stabilizes the ocular surface, and it actually has been used very effectively as a tear. The vehicle uh, is very commonly used in Europe as an artificial tear because the perfluorohexaloctane uh, stabilizes the ocular surface uh, extremely well. The nice aspect of the Novalik cyclosporin compound is that it's very comfortable. It doesn't have uh, the normal burning and irritation that we very commonly see with cyclosporin compounds. And there's the hope that it may act more rapidly. We're still learning a, a lot more about it. The phase 2B and 3 randomized double mass trials, uh, which are called the ESSENCE trials, included 328 patients in nine sites in the United States, and they looked at fluorescein corneal staining at four weeks, and dosing continued for three months. The results of the study were, were very positive, and uh, again show that not only is the active medication important, but the vehicle can be sometimes even more important in a dry eye therapy. And this very unique compound really appears to not only solubilize the cyclosporin more effectively, but also stabilize the ocular surface as an extraordinarily effective tear to prevent aqueous insufficiency and evaporative dry eye. And I know you're not a uh, an investment banker, you're a doctor, but uh, I wondered how you view the industry going forward. How would you like to see things play out? We've seen uh, Johnson & Johnson Vision, of course, acquire some uh, some properties in this space. They now uh, are able to uh, to provide uh, uh, LipaView and LipaFlow. But uh, do you see consolidation uh, in this area, and how does that impact what you do? Well, I think it's exciting right now that we're seeing a lot of innovation taking place in dry eye, and, and most of the innovation is taking place here in the United States. So. There's really been a change in in the environment of innovation, and dry eye is probably at the forefront of this. I see a lot of these startups taking the risk of developing dry eye products, and for many companies, uh, dry eye was an endpoint with very little approvals over the last years. And now that we seem to understand the mechanism of action of dry eye and how to test for it and how to develop studies for it that will achieve FDA approval, I think a lot of these companies actually will be approved. And I think dry eye will be like glaucoma was 15 years ago when we had all these new compounds coming in and dry eye will become a disease that's treated with multiple therapies depending upon the cause and the severity of dry eye disease. You mentioned Johnson Johnson investing in, uh, in dry eye with Tier Science. I thought that was a great investment on their part. Uh, anytime Johnson Johnson gets involved in something, you feel very good about it. I think it opens up the portfolio for other companies to become invested in dry eye disease as well. Another treatment for dry eye that treats meibomian gland disease as well as aqueous deficiency dry eye is Blefex. And 
BluffX is an extraordinary exciting company that has really identified a novel cause of dry eye, and that is biofilm developing on the tear lids that uh, prevents the expression of meibomian glands and creates inflammation that leads to aqueous deficiency dry eye. So that's another new company that's just entered the market uh, over the last couple of years that I think has a very bright and promising future for dry, for dry management. So if I was a venture capitalist right now, I think I'd be very excited about dry eye. I think there's an extraordinary unmet need. Uh, it's believed that less than 2% of people who have dry eye today are actually receiving a therapeutic product to treat their disease. And going forward, I see this as becoming much more commonplace as both patients and eye care professionals realize the importance of therapy in improving quality of vision, quality of life, and preventing progression of a very common disease. Well, that's a great way to end. Thanks so much, Dr. Donafel, for your time. I'm really amazed at, uh, at your ability to recall. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you have a few uh, flashcards there in front of you. You did such a great job. <laughs> I, had a, I had a few notes, but a, a, a couple of companies I work with, I know pretty much inside and out as well. I thought it was a great, a great half hour. I hope people like it. Great, great, great. Thanks again for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. My pleasure. It's good talking to you. And as always, you did a great interview. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, Eric Donafel, for joining us on the OIS podcast. Thank you, podcast listeners, for tuning in. If you could help us out by telling your friends about the podcast, if you're new to the podcast, you can subscribe. That would be an enormous help. And if you are so inclined, give us a ranking on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you're, uh, whatever platform you're using. Those rankings, those comments, those do help others find the podcast. So we're very grateful. Finally, don't forget, we have uh, OIS at Seco coming up on February 21st. Since this is sort of our dry eye episode, I want to end this podcast uh, with a comment from one of our favorites, Bob Dempsey of Shire. Of course, is uh, mentioned, Zydra is mentioned in this, uh, in this podcast. Spoke with Bob at our OIS at AAO event and asked him what he enjoys about OIS. Before I let Bob finish this podcast, though, don't forget to go to OIS.net to register for OIS at SECO. It's happening on February 21st in New Orleans. I'll be honest with you, Tom. It's the highlight of the year for me because it's where everything comes together. I call it the Academy of the Eyeball Olympics. But really, it's kicked off with the opening ceremony, and that's OIS, and especially at the Academy, because again, we have the KOLs, we have industry, we have startups, we have strategics, we have CROs, we have everyone comes together, and I call it the ecosystem, and I try to know everybody, meet people, network, socialize, connect people, and OIS allows that to happen. I learn, I love the lectures, I love the... The, the continuity we all have and how much how much engaged people are. And you can see from the first time you walk in here around 7 o'clock, you go to the breakouts, everyone is just has that extra step in their, extra hop in their step because they know they're going to get very...